um, we're going to do some review and um, kind of touch on a couple points that we've already touched on previously and then really wrap up kind of on uh, an evangelistic note. Um, and so um, you stick with me today. Um, found this, at least in my life, found this, best, this um, lesson very timely. Um, it's the middle of summer, and life is go, 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 or at least for, for me it is, because summer's are short, and there's work to be done, projects to get done. There's also adventure to, um, to be had, and if I'm not careful, um, priorities can sometimes kind of get out of, out of balance, um, and this lesson is a good lesson on... Uh, um, you know, what our focus as a church, what our focus as indiv saved individuals should be. Um, and so just a good, a good reminder, um, you stay engaged with us here today, and I think you'll get something out of this. Um, we don't have time to exhaustively touch on all the details of the book of Esther, and if you've never read that from beginning to end, you should, because... Um, it's quite the interesting story of, of God's hand in all these events. But we're going to pick up in Esther chapter 8. Um, and we're going to read verses 3 through 14. Um, kind of the context here is um, Haman and his, um, his plan to destroy the Jews has been brought brought before the king, and the king realizes what all he previously signed on to, um, and they're in the process of how do they reverse all of that, and that's the context, context we pick up in Esther chapter 8 and verse 3. It says, And Esther spake yet again before the king, and fell down at his feet, and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman, the Agagite, and his devices that he had devised against the Jews. Then the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther, so Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamdatha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's providence. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? Then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, and we don't have time to go into all of that, but um, um, Haman having been hung and the king having understand Mordecai's tie to Esther, basically puts him in Haman's spot in the kingdom. And so, then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him they have hung, they have hanged upon the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and sell it, and seal it with the king's ring, 
For the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Then were the king's scribes called at the time in the third month, that is the month Sivan, on the three and twentieth day thereof. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to the lieutenants and the deputies and rulers of the provinces which were from India unto Ethiopia, an hundred twenty and seven provinces, provinces unto every province according to the writing thereof, and unto every people after their language, and to the Jews according to their writing, and according to their language. And he wrote in the king Ahasuerus' name, and sealed with the king's ring, and sent letters by post on horseback, and riders on mules, camels, and young dromedaries. Wherein the king granted the Jews which were in every city to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for prey. Upon one day in all the providences of King Ahasuerus, namely upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people and the Jews, and that the Jews should be ready against the day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the post that rode upon the mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment. And the decree was given at Shushan, the palace. Um, just some quick review or background, um, and if you've been attending the series, you will remember most of this. So the timing of this is during the Medo-Persian rule. This is after the empire of Babylon has conquered the Jewish nation, brought them into captivity. Then the Medo-Persians come along and conquer Babylon. This man, who history calls Xerxes, or scripture calls Ahasuerus, is ruling the throne. Um, this man, Ahasuerus, uh, is over a wide, much, much of the then known world, as we would call it. It's said in this um, passage from uh, India to Ethiopia. Like, if you think about that, from down there in India all the way up to Ethiopia. Wide, a wide kingdom. In those kingdoms, he has these 127 providences. If you remember, this was um, man given to quick and rash decisions, whether that was a decision to um, remove his queen or whether that was things like building, having a, a bridge built over a great river um, that took much labor and engineering and then um, this rare storm system comes and the water rises and the bridge gets washed out and he orders his military to go down there and whip the waters and throw shackles into the, into the river and then beheads all the engineers. Um, this, this is the type of, of man that you're dealing with. Um, and if you remember particularly in Esther, this is a man who replaced his first wife um, for not wanting to seemingly perform at a party. 
that had been going on for years. We don't, for a whole year, we don't have time to go all into that again. And he's picked um, Hadassah, or what the scripture names the book Esther, to be his new queen. So we have, we have Ahasuerus in this story. We have Queen Esther. She's um, really a Jewish orphan who lived there and grew up there in Shushan. She was raised by her um, cousin Mordecai, who really became a father figure to her. And the, the book really seems to indicate, really took her in and cared for her as his own. Esther has become queen, and she has replaced Vashti, uh, who was removed from being queen because she did not obey Ahasuerus. Um, and we don't have time to review all of that, but if you just think about all that Esther had to go through to become queen, prepped for a whole year to really go in and have a one-night stay with this man to see if she made the cut, so to speak. And this Jewish girl holding to the Jewish religion and really seeming to follow Scripture and have a relationship with God, having to uh, endure all of that. And um, sometimes in life, uh, we, we have so many rabbits to chase, but sometimes in life we endure some rough things. It may not even be of our causing or of our, uh, that we've brought upon ourselves, but God is using those to work something greater. He certainly was in this young Jewish girl's life. And then we have Mordecai, Esther's guardian. Um, after she lost her parents, um, Mordecai is the one who refused to bow before Haman because of his Jewish convictions that he would only bow before God. And that caused some issues with this man, Haman. And then we have in this story of Esther, Haman, the chief ruler over the princes of the kingdom, a man of great authority. As we studied last week, a man really given over to pride. Um, and could perhaps even be a man that much of that kingdom viewed as deity based on how those cultures viewed royalty and people in that place of authority and certainly seems to, um, seems to think in his own head that he's deity. Um, Haman, in the story, becomes, becomes furious with Mordecai that he would not bow, and particularly understanding that he would not bow because of his Jewish heritage, uh, gets legislation, gets a law written, that all the Jews would be destroyed on this certain day, and gets that sealed with the king's permission, and that law goes into effect. Um, really, we're going to review some previous points, really, about some spiritual parallels from the book of Esther and our everyday life and particularly around evangelism. Um, and um, sometimes we take par parallels out of Scripture and really have to stretch them to, uh, to make a point or to try to 
give some present-day analogy, but um, really I think these parallels in the book of Esther are quite fitting with um, this topic of um, surrender and this topic of evangelism. So, um, the first point here that we're going to look at as we uh, wrap up here in Esther is we're, we're reminded that here in the book of Esther there was a great crisis. An entire race of people were condemned to die. We see that um, back there in chapter 3 and verse 9 through 13. The context here is Haman addressing the king, and he says, If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it unto the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people, the people also, so the ability to carry this out, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called in the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every providence and to the rulers of every people of every providence, according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, and the name of the king Ahasuerus was it written, and sealed with the king's ring. And so we see here that this Haman gets this law written to destroy the Jews on a given time period, on a given day. And there's a great crisis here because a whole nation within this kingdom is condemned to die. All Jews condemned to die. That, the Verse 13 there, we didn't read that, but if you look at verse 13... It says that in these letters, in these laws that was made and sent out, it says to destroy, to kill, to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women. In one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar. And so if you lived in the Medo-Persian Empire, if you were a Jew, you and your entire family were condemned. Grandparents, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, husbands, wives, cousins, friends, neighbors. And um, as that news would come to your province and to your little community, the impact that that would have on your life. We see some of that in chapter 4 and verse 3 there. And it says, And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. People, as the news would come and they begin to understand what impact this would have, there was great concern. There was a crisis. And the parallel to today is that man is under condemnation 
um, today. Relatives, friends, and neighbors are under a great condemnation. John 3.18 tells us, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Mankind is in a crisis even today because he is condemned. And it's not any mankind, it's not, it's not certain mankind. All of mankind is condemned because all are sinners. Romans 5.12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In that same passage down in verse 18 of Romans 5, it tells us, Therefore, as by the fence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Because of man's sin problem, man is condemned, and mankind is in a crisis. And um, this realization of condemnation um, ought to bring concern. It brought concern to this Medo-Persian empire. Um, we studied this in some length, but you can see the concern that it brought to Mordecai there in Esther chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. It says, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. Not only was Mordecai concerned about his own destiny, but concerned, it seems, as you read in context, more concerned about the fact that his people would be destroyed. And he was so concerned that he was willing to make a scene out of it to put on sackcloth and ashes and to go crying about the city. And even in verse 2 it says, And came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. You couldn't go into the king's gate dressed like this, but Mordecai is going to come right up to it. And Mordecai is making a scene. And the realization of the condemned state of those around us, ought to bring us concern. Paul said, Paul said it this way, he said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness with the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I would wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, According to the flesh. Do we have a concern for the great crisis that's around us? Second, so first we see that this book relates to us a great crisis, people condemned. Second, we note that often. Uh, sometimes that those in the best position to be used of God 
can be unconcerned. Those in the best positions to be used of God to make a difference, to make the impact, can be unconcerned. We see that in verse 4. We read verse one and two, uh, chapter 4. We read verses 1 and 2. We see the scene that Mordecai is making. In verse 3, we see the impact that this is having across the whole kingdom, the whole, all the provinces, as the, as the word gets out. And the word comes back to Esther in um, chapter four, 4 and verse 4, and it says, So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved and sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Verse 5, Then called Esther for Hatach, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So we see here, um, of all the people, and we see as the story unfolds, of all the people that were best positioned to have a, a voice for the Jewish people, um, it seems that Esther, living there in the palace and having connection to the king, would be the best suited of all the people. Um, but of all the Jews, at least in these few verses that we see, she was either the least knowledgeable about the condemnation of her people. In fact, we see here... Um, we wonder, it makes us, some of this is speculation, but it makes us wonder if she was even aware because as she hears of Mordecai's state, um, she first sends clothes down there to him. She's most concerned about his connection to her and how this is making him look and go get changed. Go clean up, quit making a scene. And it's not until he refuses that that she sends back and says, okay, What's, what's going on? And her grief here um, in sending him clothes was not, didn't seem to be initially over her people, um, but she was exceedingly grieved because uh, Mordecai was embarrassing her. Um, and sometimes... As God's people, we can get embarrassed because of the approach or because of the boldness that a fellow brother or sister has in witnessing to their friends or their family or witnessing when we're around. And we're more concerned about the appearance and about the crisis. You would have thought that Esther would have known what was going on. Um, you know, some of this is surmising, but perhaps she was too involved in living the, um, the palace life and maybe the duties associated with that or the politics within her little 
circle of influence, that she, w she was too involved in living the palace life and all that was wrapped up with that to be concerned. Um, you know, I think, I think it was Paul that put it, that being tangled in the affairs of this life. And sometimes we get too tangled up in um, life, life happening, whether that's trying to, trying to make a living for yourself, as we would say, whether that's all the summers here and all the work that we got to get done and all the thing, all the projects we got to get checked off and um, things, aren't going, things aren't going right and we're behind on this project or whatever and we can get tangled up in the affairs of everyday life where we're, ye, where we're not concerned about the spiritual implication of the crisis that's going on around us. Really because we're self-consumed with what we got to get done. Uh, perhaps, also perhaps, Esther knew about it and was comfortable being queen and had lost concern about those condemned. Just became indifferent. And uh, we would all admit here today that there is a crisis. Um, but have we become indifferent to that crisis? Maybe from long exposure to knowing, maybe from past uh, times of witnessing when somebody didn't respond, that we've just become indifferent. Um, but we have to remember here that it was God's hand that was at work in putting Esther within the kingdom and in the role of queen. And it was not just so she could, at this point in life, after even all the struggles to become queen and all that, it's not just so that she could live in luxury. Um, if you look there in chapter 4 and verse 13 to 14, as she sends to know what Mordecai is all worked up about, we see he sends it back to her in verse 13 of chapter 4. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whither thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God had placed her in the kingdom for just such a time as the one that was unfolding. And the parallel there, the question that we should ask ourselves is, are we taking our place in the kingdom of God? Has God put you where you are for such a time to help in the deliverance of those condemned to die? 
those that are separated from God. You know, um, Mordecai alludes here that God is capable of raising up someone else and God, if Esther failed to meet God's plan, God, God's not limited by that. But, um, but he questions here, is the very reason that God's put you where you're at for such a time as this? And in our own lives, if you think about your sphere of influence, you think about who the people that you know, the people that God's put you in, in kind of a, you know, a, a bubble of influence. Has God put you there for such a time as this? We see here that Esther's uh, usefulness in this matter would first have to come through a surrendered will. That Esther would first have to surrender to, yes, God has put me here for such a time as this in order to be used. We see that in verse um, 16. It says, Esther replies, after, me, after facing this challenge from her from her, uh, from Mordecai, her, the person that she respected, the person that brought her up. She says, go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. And I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. We see here that Esther came to a place of a surrendered will. This is what God wants me to do. I'm going to do it, and if I perish, I perish. Um, you know, we see also here that she's asking Mordecai, and she herself is prepping for that, asking him them to fast and pray. Um, but we also see here that she's got a plan. That she's surrendered to this plan, so she's going to act upon it, and she's asking them to pray for her. You know, sometimes we have somebody that God's laid on our heart, and um, God wants us to intervene, and, and by that I mean be, be a witness to them. And we'll, we'll bring that up at prayer meeting. Hey, pray for my coworker so-and-so. But we, but we don't ever have a plan to put into action. Mm. Esther asked them to pray, but she had an intentional plan that I'm going to, I'm going to go do this. And sometimes we, we stop short at the, well, well, pray for me. Pray that I have an opportunity. Well, maybe God wants you to create that opportunity. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Um, and the question there is, um, 
in the work of bringing men to Christ, who am, who am, I, who am I serving? Am I, am, I, am I willing to become the servant to these lost souls? Paul said, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. For why? For the purpose that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that by all means, that I might by all means save some. Paul was willing to step out of his comfort zone and to serve other men for the opportunity to preach the gospel to them. Um, how willing am I to step out of, uh, you know, sometimes we, we look at witnessing or outreach as, well, it's got to it's somehow work into the life I already got going on, right? Well, maybe it's a, be an opportunity to witness on the job or, or you know, maybe I'll, I'll have a, a, a few moments after we, we clock off. But Paul is saying here, and, and not that those are bad, but what Paul is saying here is that he was intentional about stepping out of what he wanted to accomplish to serve others with the intent of sharing the gospel with them. But all of this first comes with a surrendered will. And so the question that I have to ask myself and that you have to ask yourself is, am I truly surrendered? Are we, will, are we willing to lay aside the weights that uh, weigh us down? Are, are you and I so wrapped up in something that it keeps us from taking our rightful place in the kingdom of God as an instrument to help deliver those under a great condemnation? Have we become indifferent? So we see here that there is a great crisis, that those best in the position to be used of God can often be unconcerned. And then we see that when people are condemned, that there ought to be an urgency about their fate. When people are condemned, there ought to be an urgency about their fate. We pick, we, we, we pick up this thought of urgency in the passage we read today there in chapter 8. The context there, chapter 8, Esther has gone into the king and the king has received her. She, re, she reviews again with the king the evil plot of Haman. Haman has been hanged on the gallows. Mordecai has assumed um, his place and only God could do that. Um, and then in verse 3, 
um, we see the plea to reverse this law and see um, in the Medo-Persian Empire, once there was a, a law made, a law could not be simply taken away. And so if you were going to counter, if you were going to reverse a law that was made, it was going to have to be with another law that countered that or reversed that. Um, in verse 3 of chapter 8, we see, And Esther spake yet again before the king, and fell down at his feet, and besought him with tears, to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite, and his device that he had devised against the Jews. So she's asking the king for a way to counter this, to put, a, put, put away this uh, annihilation that's towards her people. Uh, if you look down in verse 10, we see this happening. In verse 10 it says, And he wrote in the king Ahasuerus' name, and sealed it with the king's ring. So this is the, the law that's going to counter the destroying of the Jews. And sent letters by posts on horseback and riders on mules, camels, and young dromedaries, wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Look down in verse 13. The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every providence was published unto all people, and that the Jews should be ready against the day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the posts that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment. And the decree was given at Shushan, the palace. So we see here just kind of an update on events that the king has granted that, this, that the Jews could defend against themselves against the first law that he had made under Haman. Um, and these... This counter law is written up. It's given to the, um, to the posts to get out into the 127 providences and all the little cities within that. And, um, and the writers go out. The king reverses his law on killing the Jews. And we note here... In verse 14, this little, this little phrase tells us, So the post that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment. They were hastened and pressed on. There was an urgency expressed in these words concerning those who would take the prop the proclamation out to the 127 provinces. They hastened. That word hastened means to, to be alarmed and means to carry some, some anxiety within you. That, I, that, that anxiety of, I got to get going. You're late to work, you got a little anxiety, like we, we got to get there. 
They hastened. They were alarmed and anxious to fulfill the command. They were anxious and they pressed on. That word pressed on means to, to drive on, to urge, to hurry. One of the definitions of that is simply to hurry. They hastened and pressed on. The animals that they rode upon, those horseback and mules and camels and those young dromedaries, they were, they were pushed to the limits. They, they were rode hard. And the parallel that we could draw here is that in the matter of condemned souls, there ought to be some urgency to get out the message. Why should we hasten and press on? Well, first, we ought to hasten and press on because of the king's command. It says, um, so the post that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on. And what was it that caused them to be hastened and pressed on? By the king's command. They were hastened because the message was the king's. And the servants of the king's, they hastened to carry out his will. And the king of kings has left us some instructions. The Great Commission tells us, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The King of Kings has left us some instructions to go and to teach all nations. Acts 1.8 put it this way, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The responsibility is upon us, Blackwell Baptist Church, and individual members that make up Blackwell Baptist Church. The responsibility is upon us to witness to a lost and dying world and to do so because our king has asked us to go. And really, uh, it could stop there. We really need no further reason. John, John put it this way in John 4.15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Later on in that same chapter, verse 21, he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Um, there, in the Medo-Persian Empire, as these people, as these um, posts were given this uh, job, the king's business came first. What came from the king's 
palace and what he went. Um, what had the king on it, the seal of the king, took the priority. And so it ought to be in the kingdom of God. Many things are put off as the king's business that are really advancing our kingdom versus his kingdom. Um, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We get our priorities right, and God takes care of the rest. Second, why should we press on? Second, we should press on because of the deadline of time. There was a date coming up that if the news didn't get there in time, was going to have serious ramifications. Uh, we, see, we saw that in chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, in the letters, this is the first law. And the letters were sent by post unto all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to be taken and to take the spoil of them for prey. The reason to... Um, Hasten and press on is because there was a deadline coming. The day of death was appointed. And they had to reach the farthest regions of the kingdom before that day arrived. And so there should be some urgency with God's people and with us as a church. Scripture says, in John 4.35, Say not, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And we can, um, we can get in this trap of thinking we've got time. And get in this trap of not saying that you shouldn't tactful and timing in your witness or outreach to others, but we can, uh, we can uh, sit on that someday when the right opportunity finally is there when, um, when we don't have the luxury of time. There are not four months until the harvest is upon us. I'm afraid that too often we dilly-dally instead of hastening and pressing on. Or we think God can raise up another in our place to go. But for us to delay waiting to see if he will or thinking that it's not urgent because we don't feel a deep burden or excitement is wrong. We have a command from God and there's a deadline of time. 
John 9, 4 told us, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. There is a deadline coming. There needs to be an urgency felt about going. You know, if we think about the story of Philip there in the New Testament, when God came to Philip and said, Arise, go toward the south into the way that it goeth down to Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert, was it urgent that he go? Was there anything that called for hastening? Well, Philip seemed to think so. For the Bible says, he arose and went. We have lost, often lost the urgency. The Bible tells us, and we're familiar with this, this phrase, today is the day of salvation, now is the acceptable time. Then today, if that's true, then today must also be the time to go into all the world and preach the gospel. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. They pressed and hastened on because they were accountable. They hastened and pressed on because of the destiny of people. If they did not go, the Jews would die. We must go, and we must be willing where we can't go to send others. And sometimes, let's be honest, we want to, uh, we want to appease ourselves with that piece. Well, God hasn't called me to be a missionary to uh, remote places or overseas, so I'll give, mission, I'll give my mission money so others can go. Um, and there's some truth to that. But what about, what about the people right here? And sometimes we want to appease our conscience by giving to our missions and checking that box when God wants us to simply go to the neighbor next door, that person I have a contact with, that coworker. Um, because people are condemned. And it absolutely takes the gospel to save souls. Your lifestyle may, and my lifestyle, may, make a, may cause people to notice or something different, but just your lifestyle isn't going to somehow rub off and save a soul. It takes the word of God. Now, as we wrap up here, notice the outcome. Chapter 8 and verse 17 tells us, the posts are, are arriving. And in verse 17 of chapter 8 says, and in every province, and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast, and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews 
fell upon them. Note the outcome. The day of the news of deliverance came to a condemned man, and it was a great day. And if you think back about the day when the news of your condemnation was dealt with, and you gave your life to Christ, there was gladness and joy and a good day. So as we, as we wrap up here, just some, some application or some questions for me to ask myself and for you to ask yourself. One, I wonder if you're sitting here today and you've ever realized that you're condemned to die. Do you understand that you've sinned against God? That you've fallen short of the glory of God? And have you ever dealt with that condemnation sentence? Scripture tells us that um, that you're condemned already, that this is not a future state thing, but in God's eyes, the sentence is already there. And you must deal with your condemnation. For, for us, for the, for the saved man here today, have we been saved so long that we've lost connection with where God brought us from? And that many more stand where we once stood. Many still without the knowledge that there was a way to escape through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Some in the outreaches of different providences or maybe in your little world of influence that have not yet heard that there's a remedy to the condemnation. Have you ever taken, or maybe you just need to pause and recommit to take your place in the kingdom for such a time as this? Or has somehow the urgency of the hour escaped us? Perhaps we've become too entangled with the things of this life that we're not even aware of the condemnation that is looming. Somehow the command of the king has seemed not so important anymore. I don't know uh, if any of this or what of this has spoken to you. I do know in June of the summer, as life is busy and things are trying to get done and we're trying to pack adventure in, that I needed this reminder that there's uh, a greater cause, a greater purpose, that there's people around condemned. And uh, if nothing else, not that... Not that we can't, you can't experience fun and get projects done, but um, is there a spiritual awareness of the opportunities around us?
and um, are we willing to do something about it? All right. Thanks for your attention.